You might be wondering what I'm doing. You can wonder. That's fine. You know, when we go on vacation, the Ackley family, we sit down with our family. You know, oftentimes when we tell our kids, okay, let's get on the couches, we're going to have a family meeting, they always go, what's wrong? What did we do? Right? But when we go on vacations, we sit down with our family, and what we do is we talk about the upcoming trip, we talk about some of the things that we're going to be doing, and some of the things that they might want to do, how they can make this their vacation and have fun. We always want everybody to know what we're doing before we leave. I mean, this is big. We don't, we, we camp. We went to Disney once in our lives. Normally what we do is we camp. So when we go on camping trips, they're usually a week, hopefully, to a week and a half. And they're big. They're lots of, lots of things that we do. And we want them to know exactly what we're doing. Well, this is kind of what I'm doing this morning with you. This is so atypical for me. In fact, honestly, I kind of dreaded this. But this is a family sit-down. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we make up the church here at Cornerstone. And I want to sit down with each of you and I want to share from my heart to you what we're doing on earth. What on earth is this church doing and why? And I want to close the communication gap. You know, weeks ago, um, I talked about that portion of Nehemiah where there were low places and open places in the wall that went around Jerusalem. And those are, the, those are the portals that the enemy tries to stream through. And when we have communication gaps in the family of God and the church, they are often exploited by our enemy. There are often times that our enemy will say, you know what, I'm going to find access through here to disrupt the unity, to break that down. And so what I want to do is kind of show you how that was happening in Nehemiah. That's my token nod to Nehemiah this morning. We're going to be back in the wall, Lord willing, next week. But I want to read to you Nehemiah chapter 6. And you can see it behind me. Here's what it says. It is reported among the nations. That's never a good thing. Everybody's talking about this is what they're saying. And Geshem... Remember, you've got Sanballat, you've got Tobiah, you've got Geshem, the three main enemies of the Jews at that time. And Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king, Artaxerxes, Assyria, global superpower, will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. See, I recently had some good friends in our church that wanted to sit down with me over lunch. And they said, we've been hearing some things. We're confused about the direction of the church. We don't understand why we're doing what we're doing. And we need to understand it. And I said, you know, that's a really good point. So we sat down for an entire lunch. I walked them through where we're going, what on earth we're doing and why. And they said to me, Pastor Tim, you really probably should do that with the entire church. And so what I'm doing this morning is I want to take you in family style, just a conversation, my heart to you. This is me sitting with you. If I could, I'd sit in your living room. If you know me well enough, you know, I'm really, I would prefer preaching just sharing with you what the Word of God is. 
And this is my effort to say, let's close the communication gap. Let's get excited. Let's report for duty. Let's get on the wall. Let's build and let's see what the Lord will do. Let's make his name famous. In 2007, our church went in a very different direction. We were heading to the suburbs. We purchased 39 acres of land. We still own it. It's on Gradwall Switch Road in Lower Nazareth. And our goal was to get to that acreage to build a large church complete with ball fields for the community, walking paths, a natural amphitheater. I mean, we had all these plans. We did the site engineering, put 100,000 or more into that. And then all of a sudden, we all began to sense a shift. We began to sense maybe something different that God had in mind. In fact, we did a capital campaign. And if you've been part of a church and you've done capital campaigns, I guess some people find them exciting. I, I really don't like them. I think they kind of de, uh, you know, they derail a lot of energy into that. We did a capital campaign and we were promised by the firm that was running this campaign. You can expect 800 to 900,000 pledged. We came in so radically lower than that that it began to raise our, eye, our eyebrows and wondering, is this really the direction that God has? If we had gone that direction, phase two, phases one and two, would have totaled around eight to $10 million. And so all of a sudden, God began to work through our hearts and, to, and through our minds and begin to shift the direction. And he did that. We began to sense this direction change. Really clearly three reasons. Let me give them to you if I could. I mean, the first one was this. None of us wanted to go into debt. This church is without debt. Thank God. And thank you for the faithful giving. We have no debt. Do you know that a church, when they go into debt, it changes everything. Now pastors, instead of doing what I want to do, you know, hopefully soon, preaching a series on stewardship because it's joyful to realize that God owns everything, that we're his managers, and to be part and partners with God in stewarding that, that's joyful, that's cheerful, that's exciting. To be able to cut the strings of the world on our hearts through our pocketbooks and wallets, to me, that's incredibly exciting. But when you go into debt, all of a sudden it begins to preach because you don't have enough money. You've got to get people to, drink, you know, to open up their wallets a little more. I don't like doing that. In fact, I've never done that. Hopefully, I never will. And honestly, the thought of 8 to $10 million into brick and mortar makes me sick. It makes all of us sick in leadership. We don't really want to pour that money into brick and mortar. We want to put that money into people. And into ministries. Now listen, there are churches that are large and they've got $15 million or more into their facilities. And that's fine. That's maybe the direction that God has that church. That was not the direction that he had for this church. And so we begin to shift in our calling. Secondly, though, there's another reason. There's two more reasons. Secondly, at the same time in 2007 that this is going on, this 8 to 10 million in a brick and mortar just wasn't settling in us. There's a growing conviction that we are in the, we were an ingrown church. You know what an ingrown church is like? When you're a teen and you get that pimple that pops up on your face, 
and you stare in the mirror and you obsess over that thing and you think everybody can see it from a mile away. It begins to erode your confidence. That's an ingrown church. Your vision's on you all the time. And you know what happens when your vision is, is on you? And this was happening in, in our church. The little things become big things. And when you don't like this, it becomes worthy to leave. Because your focus is on you. When you're self-absorbed, everything becomes monumental. Everything becomes big. And when you get your vision outward to the people who are suffering and going to hell, all of a sudden, these little issues, they don't seem so big. You know, that kind of happened to me this week. I did two funerals. One of them was John Piccioni, our, our elder, one of our elders. Sort of shifts your perspective when you're doing funerals. Little things don't matter so much anymore. And this life really doesn't last very long. And life is not a practice run. This is it. This is the one shot we've got to bring glory to God on this planet. And all of a sudden it begins to galvanize and, mo and motivate me and others to, be able to, to live in a way that brings God glory. Well, this is what's happening. We're realizing that we're, we're an ingrown church. We're what experts call an attractional church, which means this. You hope to put the glamour and the glitz into your programs because you want the world to come to you. You try to attract the world to you. It doesn't work. I tried that in youth ministry many, many years ago. I could not outperform the world. We cannot outglamorize the world. No matter how much I put into our events and our activities, the world always had better things. The attractional model doesn't work. And we were organized hoping that, you know, spiritually lost people, they're going to they're gonna come here. So you put everything you got into Easter and you put everything you got into Christmas and they might come twice a year, but that's really going to be about it. Really, the world is, or the church rather, is oriented in a different direction biblically. See, what was happening to us was we were experiencing growth in cycles. Here's what was happening People, when they moved into the area, were visiting the church, or when they left their churches upset, they would come to our church. But eventually, they would either move out of the area or they would leave our church upset. We, we experienced transfer growth and transfer loss. And that's what happens when you're an ingrown, attractional church. We weren't seeing people get saved. Does that beat in your heart, friends? To see those that you love that are going to hell get rescued from that and to give, be given salvation and a purpose in life, we weren't seeing that happening really at all in our church. And we had a well-meaning expert that we paid, one of our engineers in our firms, tell us that, listen, I promise you, you build that big church on gradual switch, you build that church and in six weeks you're going to fill it. I think he saw a field of dreams, right? You build it and they will come. Because that's what that philosophy was. But we began to realize this, that, that philosophy, it doesn't really mesh with the Bible. It's not really the message of the New Testament. You don't see churches in the New Testament putting together awesome programs hoping to attract spiritually lost people to their, their church. What you see in the New Testament is what became clear to us God is in the sending business. He sends out laborers into the fields. 
He is sending us out to make disciples of all nations. He's sending us out to as sheep among wolves. He told his disciples, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. There's always an arrow out of the walls of the church. And we were built in a way that the arrows were heading in. Jesus told Paul on the Damascus road, he says, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you to open their eyes that they may receive forgiveness. Listen, people all around us are dying in their sins. And most of them are not ever going to darken the door of a church, no matter how good the programs are. So how are they going to hear the love of God and the gift of salvation that he longs to give? Well, we're gathering here right now. This is what we're doing this morning. We're gathering this morning to adore and exalt our risen Lord. Normally to hear me preach an expositional sermon. It's a little odd today, I know. To strengthen us to go back out. And the moment you leave this church, guess what? You're back on your mission field. We meet together to strengthen one another in fellowship through the word of God, by the spirit of God, to get back out and do the work of God to make the name of God famous. That's what church is supposed to do. And we realized we weren't doing that. And so we began a vision change. Our vision actually moved from, really, it's just a different statement. Loving God and loving people, basically, knowing God and loving people. It changed to building and rebuilding a spiritual wall around the east end of the Lehigh Valley. And to do that, what we want to do is we want to build you up. We want to build each other up into strong believers in Christ through his word as we follow him back out into the community. This is a missional church rather than attractional. We're out on mission, every one of us, rather than hoping the world's coming here. We want to mobilize laborers. Listen, if you, this is your church, you're not ever going to feel restful until you get on the wall and begin using your gifts. Honestly, God won't let you feel restful because he's given you a spiritual gift. He's, it's a measure of grace, the Bible says, through which to do the work of God to bring glory and honor to his name. So we want to mobilize all of us, me included, mobilize all of us to get reporting for duty, working in not only in ministries in this church, but listen, at your jobs, in your schools, your colleges, your neighborhoods, your athletic events. We've got parents that find their ministry ministering to the other parents of their children playing soccer and basketball and baseball. Their mission field is there. And we want to raise up and develop leaders. We want to be able to partner with those who are Christ-centered and Christ-exalting in their ministry. So God began to, to raise up ministries. Listen, this is the coolest thing. In 2007, in April, we did our first on-ramps to service. All that means is we're trying to find on-ramps to get on the highway of compassionate living with the gospel. So we created this weekend of 12 events all around the east end of the Lehigh Valley. Here's how you can get involved so you can see that there are needs all over and all around. You don't need to wait for the church to program it before you get living in the power of the gospel. And it was phenomenally successful. 206 people in our church 
joined one of those 12 ministries. And all of a sudden, out of that, sprang up this riverside ministry, this riverside ministry that feeds and clothes and teaches and preaches and loves 120 to 160 men, women, and children every single Monday night. I mean, it's, it's incredible ministry. It sprang up when as soon as we began to shift our direction outside of the walls of the church, all of a sudden God's saying, listen, I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting. Let's go. Here's Riverside. Let's go. Here's a prison band. We got a band that doesn't want to play where conventional bands play. So they go into the prison and they go to the lost people. They're bringing the gospel through music to the people who need to hear about Jesus. And all of a sudden we've got nursing home ministries and we've got this annual on-ramps. We've got women who are saying, why can't I go into the prison and teach the Bible? And they've been doing it for years. We've got crisis response teams. We've got so many more things. God began to send more and more people out from this church. You know what the neatest thing was in 2006, late 2006, I'm preaching through the book of Haggai. Most of us can't even find the book. It's so embedded in the Old Testament. It just came alive. How do you build a redemptive community? How do you get on mission? And all of a sudden, God says, again, I've been waiting for you to get the hang of this. Here comes 100 people like that. God brought 100 people into our church. They were the cream of the crop. Many of them are in leadership on our board and our ministry teams. They're ready to serve. He says, I'm bringing you people that are going to be ready to serve to get out of the walls of this church and into the community. Well, that led to the third reason that we began to shift our vision, the third realization. God wants to fill our cities and our towns with his people who will serve him and make him famous. Here's the verse, the two verses, rather, yeah, the two verses that are really motivating us from Ezekiel. Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them to increase their people like a flock. Not just ordinary sheep. Look what he says. Like the flock of sacrifices. You hear what God's saying? I said, listen, you can pray and ask me, Cornerstone, to bring more people to your church who are ready to serve me. And when you ask me, I'm going to bring them. And when I bring them, look what's going to happen. So shall the waste cities, Easton, Bethlehem, Nazareth, Phillipsburg, probably not Regalsville, but most of the other places. If you're from Regalsville, my sincere apologies. So shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Then my name will be made famous and I will be glorified. God says, ask. I'm going to bring you sheep. I'm going to bring you Christians ready to serve. You're going to lead people to the Lord. They're going to lay their lives on the altar. They're going to get out. They're going to fill the waste. You know what we have right now in our church? We've got somebody in our church buying homes. Their family doesn't have a whole lot of money. But they're buying homes for the ex literally the singularly express purpose of bringing Christians down into Easton. To fill the way city. It's part of their ministry right now. Isn't that phenomenal? 
This is what God is doing to answer Ezekiel 36. And it's how we're praying. God, fill your Christ-exalting church. It's not just cornerstone. Fill your Christ-exalting churches with those who are ready to serve in order to make your name famous. You know, in the last six to seven years, there's probably been a dozen churches that have left Easton. Either their doors have closed across the street, St. Peter's is one. In the second category, they merged with other churches. They wanted to get out in the suburbs. Churches are leaving Easton. Honestly, can I be very frank with you? There's a few churches still in Easton I wish would leave because they're not preaching the gospel. We're heading into Easton through what you're going to hear in a minute, multi-siting. We're trying to fill the waste cities, not just Easton. That's the first leg of the journey. We're hoping to multi-site around the east end of the Lehigh Valley, partnering with other Christ-exalting, word-centered churches. But what we decided to do, God's brought this shift to us, away from an attractional, come to us, away from an internally focused church, to an externally focused church, a missional church, where we all get on mission and get out of the walls of the church. We gather to exalt Christ. We gather to strengthen each other. We gather to proclaim the word. And then we go back to our mission field to make God famous. And it began to shift us to this multi-siting idea. And we've actually purchased a church. We own another church. If you're visiting our church today, we own another building. It's actually bigger than this one. It's actually, in many ways, better shape than this one. We purchased it downtown for the purposes of bringing Riverside Ministry into, that, into our own facility. We were partnering. Listen, we were partnering with a church that was actively and putting, putting articles in the paper, actively wanting to bless homosexual couples. A church that was hiring homosexual staff. And we said, we're partnering with that. They're hosting Riverside. It's one of our biggest ministries. We cannot partner with that. They were no longer preaching the word. Their pastor asked Pastor Tim, what is the gospel? There's a lot of churches like that around here. They're not preaching the gospel because they don't know the gospel. So we bought this building to bring Riverside into our own facilities and to multi-site. Multi-siting is when you have one church that meets in more than one location. You have one vision that governs all of it. You've got one mission that motivates all of it. You've got one budget that under, underscores all of it. You've got one, bird, one, bird, one board that oversees all of it. You've got multiple unique campuses. And by the way, there are thousands of churches in America multi-siting. Do you know what's interesting about this? It's replacing the old model of church planting, which succeeds only 20% of the time. Multi-siting <coughs> succeeds 90% of the time. Let me say that again. Multi-siting succeeds 90% of the time. Church planting succeeds 20% of the time. Interestingly, what we're doing by multi-siting is so biblical. You ever noticed Israel? 
when they went from Exodus, went from Egypt, God formed them into 12 tribes. And all 12 tribes camped around one tabernacle. They had one priesthood, Levitical priesthood. They had one high priest. Each tribe had their own standard. Each tribe had their own flag. Each tribe was unique. Yet all of them made up the people of God. It's multi-siding. Same thing when they got into the promised land. And they gathered three times, mainly three times, where all of the men were to travel if they could make the distance to Jerusalem to celebrate their God. That's Our hope is that all of the campuses gather three or four times quarterly a year to celebrate what God is doing among our one church of Cornerstone. See, we had to abandon the traditional idea of being one central large church. Can I tell you, I'm going to be really honest with you. You know how hard that was for me as a lead pastor? Do you know what it feels like, that whispery little temptation to be a a pastor of a really large church? Where you've got maybe 800 to 1,000 people coming, maybe 2,000 Do you know what I had to do to kill that temptation in me? We had to abandon that idea. God's not calling us to be a traditional church. But yet, churches churches have always had this cocooning tendency. You know, that tendency where... You know, you say you stay safely cloistered together rather than getting outside into the world as ambassadors and missionaries. Well, God knew God knows this. You know what he did in Acts, right? The church was staying there in Jerusalem. Their job was to get out to the world. So all of a sudden, in chapter eight, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Listen, this is what we tend to do. We tend to drop from the tree and we begin to fertilize right around the base of the tree. The gospel's plan is to carry the seeds of the gospel wherever you go, to work, to school, to your neighborhood, to your athletic events. It's to go out. It's missional. We're being sent with it. You go into the stores where you shop. How many of you have ever had the chance to share the hope of your salvation with somebody in the store that you're shopping at? Or on a bus that you're riding to work. You know, there's an unwritten code on buses you don't talk. I'm not kidding you. I went early morning to New York City one time in a bus. And I'm like, I'm talking to people and they're all like giving me dirty looks. And you're not supposed to do that apparently. Listen, tell people about, you're with them every day. Tell them about Jesus. Take your plane ride. You've got a captive audience. What are they going to do? Get up and leave? Be the sweet-smelling fragrance of Christ, but tell people about Jesus. The seeds of the gospel are to go around the world. See, multi-siding takes church to the people. It is built on mission. It's a verb. And it allows for smaller worship communities. If you want to know, when I was on my four-month sabbatical two years ago, what was God speaking to you? As people fondly remind me, it was four months of doing absolutely nothing and getting paid for it. Okay, thank you. (laughs) What did God say to you? I came back with a burning conviction. A really large megachurch, so incredibly difficult to maintain fellowship. 
in smaller communities where you see the faces every week and you, you love each other and you have fellowship with them. Yes, you get into life groups with each other, but yes, smaller communities, you can hold each other stronger, easier. Imagine how that building at 2nd Street can serve God and those in need. Do you know that with that building came in a run-down, horribly, what's the word, distraught? I don't know, parsonage. I mean, it was in total need of rehab. Somebody in our church gave us a quarter million dollars to rehab it. And the board said, what do we do? We prayed about it, we talked about it. We've got eight to ten master's level counselors in our church. Why? Listen, if you want to know what God wants you to do as a church, one of the best ways is to see who he's bringing you. Because he's bringing you everything you need to do all he's going to ask you to do. So he's bringing us all of these counselors, all these master's level graduate counselors. And we've got a building now, a quarter of a million gift to rehab it. So we're almost finished re rehabbing that. Lord willing, in mid-2013, we're launching a Christ-centered uh, counseling center, also a life skills training center. How do you take 120 to 150 men, women, and children that we feed regularly, and for those who are ready to start working, for those who want to get back on purpose, how do you parent your children? Well, let's have life skills classes, and guess who's going to lead them? You are. You've got the ability to do this. You know how to program a computer? Then let's have a computer programming class. You know how to build a resume? Some of you who are experts at it, well, let's teach people how to build a resume so that they can get job interviews and teach them how to job interview so that they can get jobs and get dignity and get purpose back in their lives and bring the gospel to bear through employment. This is what that building down there is for. It's to, to counsel and to build people's lives with skills that they need. This is all what's happening, and we're going to need all of us to engage and to get involved with these ministries. And we're launching multi-site ministry probably sometime early, we hope, in 2013. That's our hope. And it's going to be a video venue. Now, some people have, this is partly the reasons I'm doing what I'm doing today. Because there's been misinformation, it's unnecessary. Anytime you have questions, just ask any of us pastors. We will gladly sit down and probably even learn from your opinions and your feedback. Somebody was, a couple people very concerned. Why are you putting all this money, 200000 into redoing that church down there? I thought you didn't put money into buildings. Well, sometimes buildings are necessary. We've done a ton of research on multi-siting, video venue. Video venue is this. I'll be preaching Saturday night. That will get videotaped, edited, shown at 2nd Street, live here like I'm doing. 2nd Street in a video format. Live worship, 2nd Street, video format sermon. If you don't do video format right, pretty soon you begin to think, why don't I just stay home and watch Charles Stanley? And you should never think that, ever. That was a joke. <laughs> Apparently not a good one. We've been to multi-site churches. We've picked their brains. 
We've got three screens, and somebody said three screens. Are you trying to go for Hollywood? You're trying to get glamour and glitz? No. The two outside screens are for the worship lyrics, the video segments that we're putting together. The middle screen is up. You can't see the worship team if that's down. When they're done and we move, and I'll tell you how we're going to do that, that screen comes down, and that's where the video format is. I've been promised I'll be a little taller, slimmer, more muscular, and tan. So I don't know. <laughs> we can only hope on all four of those. We're working on our colorizing ability. That or a tanning booth, and I'll get cancer and die, and you get a new pastor. <clears throat> Thank you, whoever that was. I love you. And what we're designing down there is a worship experience. Now, listen, I want you, for some of us, we don't like change. So some of us have that familiar little anxiety thing bubbling up right now. If you don't like change, fantastic. Stay here at 411. You're going to get the same thing. I'm preaching every Sunday here, except for one weekend a month. And one weekend a month, and this is the beauty of multi-siting, now it opens up two campuses for two men to preach where I can mentor them and allow more people in our church to exercise their preaching gifts that God's given them. It won't be centered on me so much, which is what I kind of like. And so we're preaching, and if you don't, you know, if you don't like the change of multi-siting down there, that's fine. Stay here. This is not going to virtually change at all. We'll bleed some of them eventually into here, what you're going to hear in a minute. But what we're doing down there is we're designing a worship, and it's around four components. And I want to really tell you about this because I think it's exciting. Now, listen, I don't think it's like anything you've ever experienced. I don't know any church doing this like we're going to try to do this. We're going to see what the Lord says when we do this. But here's the four components. The first one is preparation. Can I ask you a personal question? Listen, I'm, I'm, here's the mirror. I'm looking back at me too when I ask this. How many of you woke up your souls this morning to bless God? You woke up your souls to bless God. And how many of you have been singing new songs this morning as the psalmist commands us? How many of us said, soul, you've been drawn back into lethargy and slumber this week in the world? You've got to wake up. You've got to worship God. We're preparing people to do that at Second Street. We're going to learn how to do it here. But listen, we don't prepare people. We do terrible at the first and the fourth component that I'm going to share with you. You've got to wake yourselves up. I've got to wake myself up. How many of you caught yourself daydreaming while taking communion? I mean, we're proclaiming the death of Christ on the cross, and are we thinking about it? And are we killing our pride by looking at Jesus exalted on the cross? And are we determined even more to get out of here and proclaim this message to people all around us? See, preparation is getting your heart ready to receive the presence of the Lord. He promises where two or more are gathered, He's coming. We've got to make ourselves ready to meet with Him rather than numbness in our souls. Did you walk through the doors this morning with praise in your hearts and thankfulness on your lips? And whether you were given the opportunity that you were two weeks ago to celebrate God's goodness and declare it, were you ready to speak that in prayer and psalms and songs to God? See, we're designing down there at at 2nd Street, we're designing biblically driven ways to wake up our souls to prepare to meet with our God. And it will move us into the second component, which is adoration. The adoration, we're kind of familiar with that. It's the singing, right? You're going to have a live worship band. 
that adoration is more than just singing. It's, it's, it's testifying, having opportunities weekly to stand up and say, this is why my God is great. This is what he did in my life. And declaring and boasting on our God. The Bible says, sing new songs to, the, to God. You know why? Have you ever thought through that? Why are we to sing new songs to God? It's because he's constantly doing new things in our lives. He's giving us new mercy every morning. We've got material to write songs every day to God. And so we're going to be singing new songs to God, testifying on his greatness. Imagine hearing from one another all the things that God is doing in, in our lives and in, in encouragement that comes to one another when you see God working and moving us into the the opportunity to get out of your pew if you want to. You can stay in your pew, but you can get out of your pew during that service and, and get to these worship stations. What are worship stations? Well, they're going to change constantly. This will never fall into routine. You'll never come to church going, well, that was kind of like last week. Because worship is dynamic, it's organic, it's alive, it's fluid. These worship stations, you might go to one station that's got the bread and the juice. And somebody there is going to administer that. And you can arrest your soul again and glance longingly at the cross and fondly celebrate when God is coming back through Christ and bringing us home to celebrate with him. Or maybe you've got something in your life. I mean, how many of us, you don't need to raise your hand, how many of you stumbled pretty badly this week? Aren't you tired of that? I remember in the woods, there was a root on a path. No matter how well I knew that path, I kept tripping every time on that same root. Aren't you tired of stumbling over the same sin in your life? So come to a worship station where there's three by five cards and a cross, and you can write that down and pin it to the cross, knowing there's going to be a team of people. They're going to pray for you that week, particularly about that root of sin in your life, so that you can stop tripping over it. Or maybe you've got something in your life, you just it's so bottled up. Haven't you ever come to church and you're so full of pain you can't even worship? Find an intercessory worship station where there's people that love to pray and will grab your hand and join it with the hand of God and say, come on, let's take this to God. I'll pray for you. I had a girl last night who's an artist. She's decorated her entire bedroom. She says, Tim, how can I use my art at Second Street? Why not have a water painting station where you can paint and reflect back to God. Art is something he's given you. If you've got it, reflect it back to God. Maybe this is what you perceive of when you think of God, your heavenly father. Or the empty tomb and Jesus is resurrected. We're coming up on Easter in a few weeks. Don't want to get too far ahead of us. we got Christmas. <laughs> Paint it. Reflect it. Worship. Adore God. This is all adoration. And then it moves us into what we're familiar with, that proclamation, the preaching of God's word. You know, during the preparation and adoration, the worship team has been on the platform and you got the side screen for the lyrics and the video. Now they're off the platform. The screen comes down and the video gets put up on that screen. I can tell you, honestly, I went to a multi-site church just to check that part of it out because I was highly skeptical. Because I don't want people coming to church feeling like they're watching a TV sermon. 
Maybe I'm not very intelligent, which is always part of the potential probability, but I did not even notice that the, pre- the preacher wasn't preaching live until we were on our way home and somebody that went with us said, what do you think about the video sermon? I said, you know what? That was a video, wasn't it? You'll get used to it so quickly. Some have been really concerned about that. I've invited them, listen, go to Liquid Church, go down to Lancaster, check out some of these multi-siting churches. You're going to find how simple, how easy it is to watch that sermon on the screen, and you're going to feel like you're home like you always do. But we're moving into the fourth phase, and that's application. See, we don't do well in preparation, and we don't do well in application. How often have you had the opportunity in church to stand up and say, you know what, I never thought of that before, and I need your prayers to help me live it out this week? Or how many of you have had the opportunity to be able to say, you know what, Pastor Tim's first point on preparation, I don't really agree with that. I want to agree with it, but I don't get it. I don't understand it. Can you clarify it for me? And you've got Pastor Matthew or Pastor Tim or somebody else that's facilitating saying, yeah, I can clarify that for you. Let's talk through that a little bit more. Now you've got an opportunity for somebody over here down there to stand up and say, you know what? That worship song that we sang, it's the first time I've ever really seen that part of God. A few weeks ago, I had somebody in our church that said to me after the sermon, you know what? For 50 years... I've had this question in my life. You answered it today in that sermon. Get up and share it. We need to minister to one another. We need to serve one another. How often do we remind ourselves, okay, God spoke today in a way that's getting us ready to get back in the mission field. We're leaving in just a few minutes. We're stepping out the doors of this church and we're right back in the face of the world in opposition to the gospel. We're back in our mission field. It's never going to be easy. We've got to scatter the gospel afar. I need help doing it. How am I going to do it this week? How many of you are on Facebook? Come on, how many of you are on Facebook? Don't be ashamed. Or maybe you should be, but... <laughs> how many of you have ever texted? Raise your hand. We're going to have a monitor set up on the screen that Pastor Matthew could come up and look at. And you could text or Facebook your questions or your comments through the service. And he can look down... And you can say, you know what? Somebody here said this about that sermon. That's a really good observation. I want to share it with you. Or somebody had a question about that. Let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. And let's not let me or Matthew or Tim be the answer people. Let's minister to one another as the priesthood of all believers. Because you know things about the Bible that I don't know. And you know things about the Bible that I've never even heard of. So let's minister to one another. It's not going to be church as usual. And this is kind of the fun part of Second Street. In fact, there's going to be five principles that are going to be woven through every single Sunday. I'm going to briefly give them to you really quickly. And you can remember it in the word press. Ready? P is participatory. You're not coming to observe. Not one of you this morning has had a chance to reflect back to me anything of what I've said. I hate that. Except we have a time limit here. There we've got two hours. Two hours. I'll never make it in two hours. You're going to be up and down getting out of your pews. It's going to be fast moving organic. You're not going to know 
it was two hours. It's going to be participatory. You come to church to participate, not observe. It's going to be relational. We're going to love one another. We're going to love God. We're going to be remembering that we, we are responsible to encourage one another, to carry one another's burdens, to share with one another, confess with one another. It's going to be experiential. You're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. You're going to get your hands and your feet and your senses involved. You're going to hear your, uh, your vision. Listen, why was it darkened in the most holy of holies? Why did they build in the tabernacle and temple that thick hundreds of pounds curtain to block all the light so that the only light was from the menorah, the candelabra? Why did they do that? It was to keep the light of the world out of God's most holy place and let God's light shine. So yes, we're room darkening Second Street, not to be new age, not to be freaky, but to be able to bring the focus to where it needs to be on our God. So your senses are going to be involved in lots and lots of ways so that when you if you're an Old Testament Jew, you heard the shofar call you to worship. You smelled the incense rising. You saw the blood splatter against the white altar. Okay, we're not going to splatter blood. But we're going to get your senses involved because it's experiential. And it's spirit-led. Listen, if it's not of the spirit, it will fail. And if it's not of the Spirit, it cannot bring glory to Jesus. And if you do not bring glory and exaltation to Jesus, you cannot make God's name famous. It's got to be Spirit-led. And it's got to be Scripture-centered, which is a whole lot different than Scripture-based. You've been, likely, in Scripture-based churches. Honestly, I can't stand them. You're really seeing me. I told you this is family style. All my rawness is on display you know why I don't like scripture-based churches? You throw out your obligatory verse in the beginning, and then you wax eloquent about politics, the weather, and sports, and life. Man, you got to have a you have a short leash to the Word of God. Everything you do has got to emerge directly out of God's Word. It is the breath of God, and it transforms communities, churches, and people. It's the power of the gospel. So everything is going to be scripture-centered that we do down at that church. Let me bring this to a close. And let me bring it back to Nehemiah. The only people that would not report to the wall were the nobles of Tekoa, who thought themselves too good to do the work of God. Listen, if you call this church home, you've got to report. You've got to get on the wall. You've got to serve not just in this church, but in your places of employment, in your schools, your neighborhoods, and your teams. You've got to get on mission. And you've got to build the kingdom of God and scatter the gospel wherever he takes you. And what we're looking for is this. We're looking for 80 cubed. What that means is this. We're asking 80 people to say, I will commit one year to Second Street. One year. Because I want to see what God's going to do. And we're looking for 80 people to say, you know what? I've been coming to 411 March Street. You're down at Second Street. I got you. You got a question? All right. Thank you, Eric. We're looking for people that are committing to this church. We don't want everybody going to Second Street. I'm going to be 
preaching to pews. So we've got this church as well. But people who say, I'm going to get on the wall here. I'm committing one year of serving God and seeing what God's going to do at 411 Mar Street. And we're looking for 80 people to commit to Saturday night down at 2nd Street and say, you know what? We're going to see what the Lord's going to do at that church as well. We've got three congregations in this church, or we will at least. What we're about to do in the next month and a half or so is move Saturday evening service down to 2nd Street. It'll allow us to do some things we've been wanting to do we can't do in this facility. We're going to move it down there. We're going to videotape that sermon. That will be what's shown down at 2nd Street at the multi-site venue at that campus. Preaching will be live at this campus. One weekend a year, we'll have our campus pastors and other men preaching. We're looking for 80 people at each site that will say, I'm going to get on the wall, I'm going to serve, and I'm going to commit. And I'm going to work and make the Lord's name famous. Now, likely, I have provoked more questions. I hope I have. Because I want you to be inquisitive. I want you to be curious. Because you might have questions. Well, I don't understand how this is going to work. Well, how do you know that's going to work? Well, why are you doing this? I want you to ask those questions. All of the pastors are ready to answer those. The board is ready to answer those. Just come and ask. Let's close the gaps of misinformation, those low places and open places that our enemy loves to pour through. Let's close those gaps. Let's talk together as a family. I'd encourage you, whether you're a member or not, stay for the annual meeting because you're going to get even more information of what we're doing. You can see a budget that we're going to need you to come behind. You're going to see the discipline that the board has exercised on financial increases. You're going to see that clearly today. Come to the annual meeting. I don't think it's going to even last an hour and a half, but the last time I said that, it was a three-hour meeting, so let's pretend I didn't just say that. Listen, let's make God famous, amen? Let's get out of the walls of this church. Let's report to duty. Let's serve. Let's bring Jesus exaltation. Let's take the seeds of the gospel wherever we go, and let's see what incredible things God is going to do. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this morning, even though this is so different from what I normally do. Lord, I pray that it was helpful. I pray that it was exciting. I pray that we can come behind this vision and all of us, Lord, realize that it's going to need tweaking. It's going to need building. It's going to need adjustment, but it is the vision, the shift that you created starting in 2007. And we're excited about it. Lord, I pray that all of us who call this church home will get on the wall and serve and make your name famous. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.